Um, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 today. Uh, we're in the midst of uh, a section, a subsection of the book of uh, 1 Corinthians in which Paul is dealing with the, the debate, the struggle between license and legalism. That is, that, that, that place between freedom and the law and, and how Christians should navigate that journey, how we ought to walk uh, in that path. And last week, as we were in chapter 8, and he was looking at the, the food sacrificed to idols. He gave us three uh, principles to help us kind of determine uh, what our approach to this question should be. What, what should the basic questions be, the basic issues that, that we deal with be? And the first was that it's founded in accountability, that you and I are accountable to each other. We have a responsibility to each other, uh, both in terms of what we do and the words that we speak to each other in terms of correction, in terms of uh, of direction uh, and who we are. As believers, we are uh, intertwined. What you do affects me, what I do affects you. And then secondly, Paul talked about how we're always to be working toward unity. That yes, as believers, we are one body. As believers, we are one family, and we come together uh, for the purposes of worship and fellowship and encouragement and those sorts of things. Uh, but unity is something that's not automatically achieved. Unity is something we have to seek. It's something we have to pursue. And so as we deal with these questions in our own lives of what we do or what we don't do or what we can participate and what we can't participate, we always have to ask the question, am I creating more unity with my decision or am I driving the church apart? And then third, Paul says we need to do everything uh, with the motivation, with the mindset of love that love is a defining factor for what it means to be a Christian, they shall know that you're my disciples by your love for one another, he said. And, and to, to hear that and to understand that is to understand that, that every decision we make is driven by that. And so as we come to chapter 9, Paul is continuing his examination of Christian freedom, and in particular he's focusing on the issue of relinquishing rights. Relinquishing rights. Now, this is a topic, this is a subject that, that can be a, a rather sore subject for, for many. It's, it's a question that often comes up in discussions uh, across the board in America, whether you're talking about politics or your job or your, your marriage, your friendships, uh, your responsibilities at, at school or at work, or whatever it is, you, you, you commonly hear, well, I have the right to blah, 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 whatever, the, whatever it is. You know, um, you know the, the one that, that's really kind of on the forefront of our social uh, discussion right now is the whole freedom of speech thing. Because you have this, this issue of, you know, uh, people using the, the ability to boycott and other things like that to, to so-called cancel people. Become a very common practice, a very common uh, idea and concept that I'm going to cancel that comedian or I'm going to cancel that star or I'm going to cancel whatever it is, that person who said these things. I'm going to make it so that they can't make a living because they're saying these things that are hateful or whatever it is. And so you have this, this cry, this scream that comes out, I have the right to speak. I have the right to speak my mind. I have the right to my opinion. All those other things. But Paul's issue and question is not in the realm of politics. It's not in the realm of, of you know, the American situation. He, it's a very different situation in Rome than you have in America. They had far fewer rights. Uh, especially non-Roman citizens, had far fewer rights than we do and so forth. But nonetheless, there was still this question, this, this, this 
position that develops in all of us when someone tells us not to do something. Okay. Our first reaction, our gut reaction is what? I'm going to do it anyway. Watch me. Okay. I've used the illustration before, you know, you're in downtown Marshall and you see this bench. You can walk, walk by that bench 50 times over the course of a month. Never even give that bench a second thought. But somebody puts a sign on that bench that says, wet paint, don't touch. And suddenly that bench you walked by 50 times, you want to stop and you want to touch it. What happens if I do that? We, we just have this, this tendency, and it grows right out of the fall. It grows right out of that very first conversation that, that we see recorded there uh, in Genesis 3, where, you know, did God really say that? And he just really doesn't want the best for you. And, and all those other things, it grows right out of it. We, our pride, our arrogance, our self-centeredness drives us to the response that if someone says we cannot do something, our first response is, I have the right to do it, so I'm going to. And that's our mentality and our mindset. And Paul is going to address that today by dealing with the issue of why he as much as anybody else, should be able to claim certain rights, but he doesn't. That he, in terms of his, his makeup, in terms of his, his, his build, in terms of his qualifications, in terms of his skills and his calling and all those other things, if there's anybody in that church that should have been able to claim their rights, it's Paul. And yet he says that he's not going to do that. Follow along with me, if you will. We're going to be looking at the first 18 verses of chapter 9 this morning. Says, so am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this Don't we all have the right to eat and drink? Don't we all have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife, like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers, and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. Is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't he really saying it for our sake? Yes, this is written for our sake, because he who plows ought to plow in hope, and he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much that we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. For my part, I have used none of these rights, nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case, for it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast, because I am compelled to preach. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I am entrusted with commission. What then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make 
full use of my rights in the gospel. Now, what's the background here? What, what, why does he even jump into this issue? Well, you need to understand something of, of how life worked in the Roman culture, and in particular, how life worked for philosophers. Okay? Um, there were a group of individuals within Rome who were philosophers, and, and the way they supported themselves, the way they worked, uh, was through what are known as patrons. That is, if you were a philosopher and you were gifted at speaking, you were gifted at, at presenting uh, uh, your case and, and arguing and, and just sounding really intelligent, if you're really good at that, you would go out and you would travel the circuit. You would go to the different cities, and you would go to their places where philosophers met. The Areopagus is one that's mentioned but for us in Scripture at Athens. Uh, this was the, the primary meeting place of of philosophers, they'd come together and they would debate these things. And the way they could afford to do that was they had these patrons. They had individuals, wealthy individuals, who would pay their way, who would support their work. And apparently, as this starts out here, apparently you have had some people in Corinth who have offered to be Paul's patron. They've offered to support his ministry. They've offered to to, to work with him. They've offered to, to, to pay him to, to do the things. And he's refused. Because if you work for a patron, then what? You've got to say the things the patron wants you to say. You've got to argue the points the, the patron wants you to argue. You're, you're not free to, to do the work to present the case as you see fit. You have, to, you have to represent them well. You have to represent them in a way that doesn't bring shame or dishonor or whatever. You can't say certain things. And so Paul has refused this role, uh, this, this payment, as it were. And apparently, the ones who offered him are now saying, well, he must not be an apostle at all. He must not be an apostle at all because... Clearly, if he had something worthwhile to say, clearly if he had you know, the gift and the power and so forth of an apostle, then he would take my support. Because after all, I just want what's best for the church. Okay. Um, I, I, can say, I can tell you right now, as a pastor who served for, for over 30 years in, in the church at various levels, those people still exist today. Pastor, you know, I'm, I'm your biggest donor here at this church, and, and I give faithfully this. And, and so there are certain expectations that come with that giving. And, and some will be straight out blunt to you to your face. If you want my giving to continue, you will stop saying that, or you will begin saying that, or whatever it is. And so that's what's happened with Paul here. He's had this offered a patronage, and and, and he's turned it down, and so now they're saying, well, he must not be an apostle. And so what he's doing here in chapter 9 is he is he's demonstrating his, his credentials. He's laying out for them. I'm an apostle. Let me show you how much of an apostle I am. I met Jesus. What, what other qualification do you need? And back, Jesus... Uh, took a special trip just to visit with me, okay? He stopped me on the road to Damascus. And, and so he, he outlines the, these roles, these, these things that he, he's done, and, and he says, am I not 
free. And he's connecting what he's just said there in chapter 8, earlier in the letter, he, it, with this whole idea of freedom. He's saying, I want you to understand the true nature of Christian freedom. And he says, my rights are based on my apostolic position. And he uses different ways to, different means to, to make this case. He, first of all, he talks about the customs of the day there in verse 7. He, he uses three illustrations. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? You go out to fight a battle, you don't do so spending your own money. You do what? You've you got to have somebody who, who pays your way to go out, right? I mean, you're putting your life on the line. You're, you're, you're taking big chances. You're, you're putting aside your entire life to go fight this battle. You deserve to be paid. And then he, he talks about what? The, the, the vineyard owner. Who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat its fruit? Yeah, I planted a really good vineyard out there. It's really pretty, but you know what? I, I don't really like vineyards. I'm just going to let the, the grapes or whatever rot on the vine. No, of course not. You plant a vineyard or whatever it is. Most of us, when we plant our gardens in our yards, we do what? We plant foods we like. Right? Okay. And this is going to ruin me for many of you, but... You know, if I'm planting a garden out in my backyard, I'm not planting okra. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like okra. It's not going in my garden. But I know many of you, that's going to be one of the first things you plant. Give me some okra so I can fry that stuff up. All right? You know, I'm putting, I'm putting some tomatoes out there. I'm putting some, some, some corn out there. I'm putting some stuff I enjoy eating. And, and so Paul uses that logic to say, you know, you, you plant the vineyard, you get to enjoy it. Or who shepherds a flock who does not drink the milk from the flock? And, and so he's using these, these customs of the day. He's saying everybody who participates in their chosen field reaps the benefit from that field. Everybody who, who does a job here on this earth, you reap the benefit from that work. Okay? In different ways. You know, just using you know modern examples, if if you're a mechanic, all right, then one of the benefits you reap from from that training, from that learning, from that work is what? If your car breaks down, you can work on it yourself. You don't have to pay someone else to do it. You reap the benefit from your training, from your skills, so forth. Whatever your job is, you have that blessing that comes along with it. And so Paul uses that, and then. Then he talks about scriptural guidelines, verses 9 through 11. He says, if the custom of the day is not enough, let, let me quote some scripture to you. Let, let, let me point that out. And he, and he uses this, this quotation, do not muzzle an ox while it threads out the grain. And this quotation there from, from Deuteronomy, is, he, says, he says, that's not really about an ox. God's not really concerned with an ox's well-being, ultimately. He's doing what? He's saying something about how people ought to operate, how people ought to function, that if people are working for you, they deserve to be paid. It's a principle of, of doing what's right by the people who are serving in your place. And, and he's using this in the ministry here. He's saying, you know what? We who are ministers of the gospel deserve to benefit from ministries we carry out. 
Then he talks about the issue of justice. Custom's not enough for you. The scripture's not enough for you. What about the issue of justice? Verse 12, if others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? We've invested a lot in you as a church. I paid my way through this whole missionary journey. I work as a tent maker on the side. He, he doesn't bring, specifically bring that up, but we know that's the case from Acts and so forth. I work as a tent maker on the side to support my ministry to be able to bring this word to you. Justice would suggest all that I've, after all that I've poured into you, I deserve something in return. Then you have Jewish custom, verse 13, the, the priest in the temple. Some offerings, when, when you bring them, you, you put the whole animal on the altar and the whole animal is consumed. But most offerings, including the sin offering, the priest gets a portion of it. They get a portion of that meat. Whatever's put up there, some of it goes to the priest. And the priest gets to enjoy that and gets to, gets to do that. And if there's too much for them to use, then they get to sell that and even reap the benefit from the sale of that animal. So you got Jewish custom. And then if that's not enough, the law is not enough, and custom's not enough, and justice isn't enough, and Jewish is, customs are not enough, well, then I'm just going to conclude, he says, with Jesus. Verse 14. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. Now, where does he get that from? That's from Luke chapter 10, verse 7, where Jesus says the laborers deserve to be paid. So if no other argument works for you, just know Jesus said you're supposed to pay your minister. Now, you would think at this point, having, having laid out such a strong case, so many evidences for why Paul deserves to be paid by the church there in Corinth, you would think the next sentence would be what? So where's my money? <laughs> so where is it? Why, why am I not receiving funds from you? Why, why are you not paying me? Why are you not supporting me? Why are you not doing these things? You would think that would be the direction he's going. But his words are what? Verse 15. I have used none of these rights nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. I have all the rights in the world to this, but I refuse to claim them. I refuse to use them. And what Paul is doing here is he's establishing the pattern for us as well. You can make a very good case for all your rights in any given situation. I'm not hurting anybody. It's, you know, it's my right as an American, blah, blah. You can make all sorts of good cases for your rights in a situation. I mentioned last week that, that when I was talking about, you know, the, the issue of, of putting something aside because it, it might cause a brother or sister to stumble, I mentioned that, that the response I got from the student was, well, what about you eating stuff in front of me because, you know, I'm overweight and I struggle with that. Why don't you put that aside? What was he doing in that argument? He was trying to justify his refusal to put something aside because someone else wasn't putting their practice aside. And that's what we so often fall into. Well, they didn't give up that for me. I struggle with this. and 
and they're just doing that in front of me or whatever. If they have the right to do it, why don't I have the right to do it? And, and that becomes the argument. And, and when you get into that sort of argument, no one wins. Because ultimately, all of us could make a case for our rights. All of us could say, this is the reasons why I'm, I, I deserve to be able to do what I'm doing and to continue to do it. We could all make that case. But Paul, in his litany of, of rights and, and privileges and so forth, he says, I, I'm laying all that aside. And then he gives us several reasons why. Why is he laying this aside? And in these reasons, we see our reasons for refusing to, to act upon our rights. The first reason he gives is it allows him to rely on the Lord. Verse 15, he says there, says, for it would be better for me to, to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. And what's my boast? That God is taking care of me. There's one thing I want as a believer, it's to be close to Jesus, Paul is saying. I want to be close to Jesus. I, I, want, I want to walk with Jesus. I want, I want to feel his provision for me. I want to recognize that even though the world has abandoned me, Jesus is with me. I want to be able to, to look at myself in the morning and say, I'm doing what I'm doing because Jesus has allowed me to do it. I'm living how I'm living. I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing because Jesus loves me. And no matter what the rest of the world does, no matter what the rest of the world says, God has my back. And if God is for me, what? Who can be against me? And he says, man, that's the first reason. I'm not going to claim these rights. I want to be able, I want to be able to, to hold on to that truth that Jesus is taking care of. Secondly, second reason, verse 16, for the sake of the gospel. The gospel is my priority, he says. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because I am compelled to preach. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I'm not going to claim my rights because if I claim my rights, that may close some of you off to gospel. If I say to you, you, you owe me this money, give me that money, some of you may say, well, then I'm just not interested in being a part of that church. I'm not interested in being part of your ministry. If you're going to put these sort of constraints on me, I don't want anything to do with that. And Paul says, you know what? I'd rather go hungry than to see somebody walk away from the gospel. I'd rather do without. I'd rather be put to shame. I'd rather whatever it is than to see someone walk away from the gospel. Because at the end of the day, that's who we are as believers. That's what our responsibility as believers is. As the ancient Christian confession says, our job is to know Jesus and make him known. That's who we are. And if that's our job, if that's our task, if that's our role, then everything else can fall by the wayside as long as the gospel goes forward. So he wants to rely on the Lord. He wants to prioritize the, the gospel. But then 17 and 18, he says, I, I take this approach because 
I'm responsible to all people, not just my patrons. If I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I am entrusted with a commission. In other words, if I accept a patronage, then I do it just for the payments. But if I refuse the patronage, then what? I have a commission from God. To, that commission is what? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make to, to anybody who wants to hear it. I want to be responsible to everybody. I don't want to have to shut my mouth because it goes against what some patron wants. Don't, don't, don't minister to those people over there. They're embarrassing to us. Don't, don't, don't stand up for that injustice or against that injustice because that doesn't fit our political party. That doesn't fit our, our role. That, that, that'll cost me votes or that'll cost me this or that'll cost me that. Paul says, man, I, I got to be able to speak when I have been called to speak. I've been given a commission by God. He says, I owe no man anything except the truth. So in our journey to finding the line between legalism and license, we can take the lessons from chapter 8, the founded in accountability, working toward unity, mitigated by love, and mix them with the expectations here in chapter 9 to, to discover, again, more principles about how we operate in this liberty and license, what we do and what we don't do. And so at first he's addressing those people who are, who are arguing for freedom. I'm free to do whatever I want, or I can go wherever I want. And he's saying, I haven't done that. You don't need to do that either. And he makes three basic points here as to why that is. This is kind of repetition of what we will cover, but just to, just to hammer home what his emphasis is as it pertains to the issue of freedom. Number one, our rights are not something to be claimed, but something to lay aside for the glory of God. As a believer, if we've died to ourselves, then what? In, in many ways, we don't have rights. person who's dead, they don't have any rights. If we've died to ourselves and we're living for Christ, we don't have those rights. But people still see, as an American citizen or, or whatever, as just a human being, that there are certain things that are built into to that, certain rights and privileges. And Paul says, man, put those on the side. Reject those for the glory of God. So that God's glorified. So that people can see how God has provided for you, how God supports you, how God carries you through those times. Man, that person wronged you. Why don't you get them back? Because God's got it. God's got it. I don't have to worry about it. But you're right. They, they've been a friend. Okay. I know that. But I'm not going to claim those rights. Because I want to see God glorified in this situation. Secondly, he says, relinquishing our rights makes us free to serve all. And if you're not constrained or worried about offended or being pushed down, 
You can minister to anybody. Somebody offends you. Somebody speaks a word that it goes against your 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 mindset, your belief system. Somebody puts you down in some way. If you relinquish your rights, you can say what? I still love you. So does Jesus. He's called you to something better. And then third, our rights are always subservient to the greater need of spreading the gospel. Always. The gospel has to be, number one, in our minds, in our hearts, in the words we speak, in the rationales we give, in the reasons we argue. Now, although those, those, those points primarily focus on the people who are, who are intent on freedom, there are also some implications here for those who are the legalists, the, the law followers, the ones who are like, i got to do just the right thing the right way when I have to do it. And essentially, they, they boil down to this. Number one, you need to rely on the Lord. Paul says, I'm free to do these things. Why? Because then I can show my reliance on the Lord and how the Lord's taking care of me. Which means what? I don't have to get legalistic about things either. Most of the time we get legalistic about things because we're what? We're trying to protect ourselves or, or protect others, so to speak, but primarily ourselves. And we're back in the garden when the serpent first comes to Eve, and he says, has God said you can eat or you can't eat from any of the, gar the, the trees here? And Eve says, what? Well, we can, eat from, we can eat some from every tree, but of the tree in the, the middle of the garden, we can't, what? Eat it nor touch it. God never said anything about touching it. That's something Adam and Eve added. What? Because they're being legalistic. They are what? Protecting themselves. Wouldn't the better answer for her to be, you know what? God has provided everything I need, and I lean on him. It doesn't matter what I can or can't eat. Totally different outcome, you answer that way, right? Instead of focused upon what you can or can't do, it really doesn't matter what I can or can't do. God's got me. I'm good with this. Let's go. And so it allows us to re rely on the Lord if we reject our rights. It allows us to see our responsibility to people and not to this legal code, so to speak. The do not muzzle an ox. Part of what Paul is saying here is what? God's interest is on the person, the people. God's laws are always concerned on the best outcome for people. It's not about an ox. It's about the fact that God cares for us. To see that and to not live with the constraints of, of a particular Interpretation or application of law is to see I'm free to minister to people. I'm free to connect with people. And I don't have to turn my nose up at what somebody's doing. I can just love them in the midst of that, just like Jesus did with the prostitutes who came, and tax collectors and others who came into his midst. He didn't turn up his nose at that. The holiest man who ever lived didn't turn his nose up at, at that sin. Why? Because he was focused on the person, not its legalism. So to experience this freedom to, to forego our rights and to live for Christ allows us to have responsibility to people. And then just as with the freedom argument, it allows us to put the priority in the gospel. I'm not interested in making you a good person. As someone said, 
Christianity is not God making bad people good people. Christianity is God making dead people alive. Bringing them to life. It's bringing them to a relationship. To a connection with him. To a connection with their fellow believers. That's what Christianity is. That's what Paul is advocating here in this passage. I'm forgoing my rights. So that I can see people come to Christ. What is your connection with Jesus this morning? Do you have a relationship with him? Are, are you able to walk in a way where you can forego your rights because you realize Jesus has you? God has you? You have a relationship with him? And he's going to see you through anything you face? That's where it all begins. Surrendering of ourselves, dying to ourselves, and giving ourselves to Christ. I would imagine most of us here in this room would, would answer the affirmative. Yes, I do have a relationship with Jesus. I can rely on him. Then let me simply ask you, are you willing to live a life where you forego your rights for the sake of the gospel that you yourself have accepted? Are you willing to reject the temptation to say, but I have a right to do that. For the sake to say, whether I have the right or don't have the right, Jesus has got me. He wants a relationship with you too. You need to get serious about sharing the gospel. Time is short. People are dying without Jesus right here in our community. And the reason they're dying without Jesus is because I haven't spent the time, taken the time to just stop and talk to them about it. We all bear that responsibility. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for each person here. God, I pray that you have spoken to our hearts this morning. You've, you've allowed us to see something bigger than ourselves, something bigger than our rights. You've allowed us to see a, a calling, a challenge, a commission to go and share your word. Die to ourselves and to make you known of that. God, I pray that if there's anyone here who's never accepted you, your offer of salvation, your offer of, of life, that you would draw them right now and that they would respond in faith. God, I also pray for myself and my fellow believers here this morning. Lord, I confess my sin of selfishness and self-centeredness. Seeking to claim my rights and protect my own status. Sometimes at the expense of other people knowing who you are. God, I pray that you would help us, all of us, to put you first and respond with faith. Respond with love to a world that desperately needs to know you. You are the answer. You are the hope. God, use this time for your glory and your purposes in Christ's name. Amen.